Hello, everybody. Welcome back to HNTLDR. It's Monday, December 14th. Kenny, how you doing? Doing pretty well today. How about you on this on this Monday morning? Very good. We're recording a little earlier than usual, which really threw me. But, you know, this is great. It's actually a reason to get up and uh, try vainly, in vain, to fix my sleep schedule. That's true. I love waking up in the morning and immediately checking hackers. <laughs> this is a great life we've chosen for ourselves. Absolutely. All right, what but, do you uh, got? Oh, okay. I can I can kick things off. So, uh, a a small a small um, uh, infrastructure company got hacked, which uh, provides you know just some critical services to the army, navy, <laughs> the, the office Treasury of the department. president, <laughs> the treasury department, and a few <laughs> other uh, a few other government agencies, and. Uh, I was really, I was looking forward to understanding this really complex, sophisticated hack because I feel like I'm not, I don't have a ton of like security background. I was going to, this was going to be the one to crack in and figure out what was going on. And it turns out they, uh, they posted some of their credentials on a GitHub repo. And that's the wow. hack. Such noobs. Who would ever do that? Not me. I've heard of that. Nope. <laughs> Uh, wow. This, this headline, it's the most YC title, or sorry, HN title I've ever seen. So-called sophisticated cyber attack against U.S. government is a simple GitHub leak. <laughs> yep. And compare this with the one, the story I was planning to read, because I mo- mostly pull stories from HN Digest instead of the current, you know, page. The number two story... Uh, I'm sorry, number four is highly evasive attacker leverages solar wind supply chain uh, against the U.S. government. And uh, yeah, so I guess I guess your story is in direct uh, conflict with mine, with new information. To, to be fair, it, uh, it's only like people, uh, cybersecurity experts hinting at this possibility and it has not been confirmed, but that's what they that's what they think it is right now. Yeah, it's all laid out in this blog post by FireEye, which we actually visited uh, when we were doing Start Six. We actually oh my gosh, that was this company? That w- it was not Solar Winds. It was, but yeah, it was FireEye, which is this the security FireEye. company that yeah. like you know revealed the attack. I um, do remember. I do remember walking through a security company, and I remember not caring at all. At so all. That so out. boring. <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, we're we're not screwed at all. I'm sure it'll be fine. Just yeah, having six months of emails from the U.S. Treasury in the office of the president now in the hands of Russia. I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be just great. Uh, on a very different note, there was an anti-book recommendation tool. I think they they should have maybe come up with a better term for this, like a book anti-recommendation tool. Anyway, the goal was to create something that's like a Goodreads style recommend recommender for books, but something that will expand your, you know, uh, get you out of your echo chamber is the idea. And so Mm. you plug in books you like. And the kind of interesting twist here is that they don't just show you books that are ideologically the opposite of what you read. They try to like bump you as far out, like to the outskirts of your bubble as you can get, uh, where, you know, people like you still like those books. So they recommend books that you're likely to like, but are still like on the outskirts of your ideological bubble. Kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, I do like that. I saw that headline and assumed that it was just like 
picking something completely orthogonal to your to your bubble but it's cool that they try to push you to the edge yep yeah as long as you're being pushed to the edge in the right direction (laughs) right Well, yeah, that'll be that'll be a twist. Is everyone on HN just becomes a neo Nazi because of this book recommendation tool? Um, but yeah, I think the comment section of this in particular was surprisingly insightful. I don't know if I was just in a weird headspace this morning, uh, but there was just a lot of good little tidbits on there. I screenshotted some of them. Uh, you know, people talking about like the term. Uh, you know, racist, or just more generally about having two words that, you know, a word that basically has two definitions in the English language and how, you know, that ambiguity causes all sorts of like disconnects when, you know, two different people of different ideologies are trying to have a conversation about it. You know, Mm. like you start with racist, it's just like people who hate people based on race. And so that word kind of, the comment is the word retains an aura of taboo and evil. And one of the worst things a person can be then you redefine it to use against a broader set of people, but continue to harvest the power of the previous connotation. Um, it, it was this really thoughtful uh, conversation about how people kind of talk past each other in these debates. So definitely recommend if you like, uh, you know, freewheeling hacker news comment conversations. Interesting. I will take a read through through that. That sounds interesting. Um, in other news. Uh, Reddit has acquired a company. There's sort of a uh, a viral video sharing company out there that's uh, super popular, kind of super short form, quick videos called Tick. Uh, oh no, no, no! It's called Dub Smash. <laughs> Dub Smash. What a what a brutal intro to this story. You're a monster. I was just gonna take the far less you know, nuanced approach of being like Reddit bought a company that is declared to be a TikTok rival. I have literally never heard of this bullshit. What is it? I have no idea. Yeah. So we might, we might be in our own bubble, a mini bubble here because uh, apparently this, the dub smash success is mostly from uh, black and Latinx users. Which Uh, I found really fascinating. The article did this thing where they used the word diverse just to mean, like, you know, minorities, <laughs> especially popular with young, diverse audiences. Uh, but yeah, never heard of it. Excited to see what they do with it. I think it would be great if Reddit had a TikTok competitor, especially if TikTok goes down the drain. Right. Although that that last little part seems extremely unlikely. <laughs> extremely. I yeah. don't know. It's, but, it uh, always lost to them. <laughs> the TikTok being this partisan issue has always been odd. Like it feels like the left should have been the ones pushing to, you know, get rid of TikTok because of all the, uh, all the concerns about you know interference from foreign governments in you know our national conversation or whatever. You know, typically yeah. the way it's worked out is that the left is the one like this is bad. We need to fight it. But uh, then Trump just decided to hate it because no one on TikTok likes him. There's <laughs> lots of Gen Z years shitting on Trump on TikTok all day, so we just had to take it down, you know? Yeah. And and China, so must be bad. <laughs> China. Doesn't he love China? I don't know. 
I don't think so. Uh, okay. What you got? There, man, there's some good stuff. All right, quick one. Unlimited is like a Ponzi scheme, which I thought was just an interesting little tidbit. It's one of these short blog posts that just are like four paragraphs long. You know, offering unlimited, it's about the Google, you know, revoking their unlimited storage guarantee for Google Drive or Google Photos. And uh, it's yes. just like, you know, this very simple walkthrough of their thought process, basically saying, you know, it's, it's exactly the dynamics of a Ponzi scheme where you offer unlimited storage. And when in the early days, when you're getting a huge influx of new users, all the new users are es- essentially, you know, uh, bringing in more revenue that kind of defrays the costs of storing stuff for your old users. Um, and especially a new user won't have many photos to put into your storage. So you'd actually, you know, don't have many, many costs associated with them. And then of course the whole thing blows up eventually once the user growth slows, which Google photos is, you know, basically hit saturation at this point. And so now, you know, it's like the most logical conclusion to this story ever. Google photos is getting rid of their unlimited storage, uh, as it became non-viable. So yeah, kind of a fun little walkthrough. That is a great framing. And especially that there were tons of other, in the early days of Google photos, there were tons of other like photo sharing, photo storage, uh, startups that could not compete with free from Google. Mm -hmm. So they all died. And then, uh, and then Google has the only one left. Yeah. I remember this being a conversation even about Dropbox. I, we were having a conversation like the day Google Drive uh, launched or something and they launched with unlimited storage or like some insane free tier at the time that was way more than Dropbox's. And we were just like, well, the, the number one company to come out of MIT is now fully fucked. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you read the Apple TV show was ma- or Apple TV was making a show about Gawker. Then Tim Cook found out. <laughs> I I did read that article. Yes. Oh man, really interesting show. So Tim Cook just totally put, totally shut down this show that Apple TV Plus was was making about, I guess about Gawker. The show was called Scraper. I couldn't tell if it was kind of just like, you know, coming at Gawker from the side, and there was like a fictionalized version of Gawker called Scraper, uh, in the show, uh, or if it was like literally about Gawker. Um, anyway. Tim Cook notoriously hates them because they outed him in 2008. Uh, you know, it was weird. They have almost no information about the pre-production on this show. So I couldn't tell like if it was even like pro Gawker or anti Gawker in some way. And if it was anti Gawker, I don't know why Tim Cook would have shut it down. So I had a hard time kind of understanding the details of the story. And, but you know, the whole thing was just like essentially an opinion piece from the New York times about like, how it's dangerous that big tech companies are exerting influence over the media, you know, the stories in the media. Um, anyway, kind yeah. of a weird story. Yeah. I also, I thought it was kind of light on details. I didn't have a great understanding of it, but, uh, it's another meeting I would love to be a fly on the wall in. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> just calls everyone together, you know, the showrunner for from Apple TV plus, And he's like, Oh God, I'm, I'm screwed. So, all right, where are we at? Oh, we got plenty of time. What do you got? Um, okay, this is this is probably my last uh, good one to share, which is uh, not meant to be a direct attack on you. So just know that going into it. Uh-huh. The title 
the title is a blog post called only intrinsic motivation lasts okay i feel <laughs> personally victimized by kenny Subtitle, subtitled why i quit a five hundred thousand dollar job at amazon to work for myself and it is the it is an old blog post but it's re-upped on the front page although it's now apparently it's dropped off it's towards the bottom of the front page right now so it might not last but it's from from February 2019, and it's this guy who is one of these indie, now indie hacker build in public people, Daniel Masilo, Masalo, Masalo. Um, he's got like 50k uh, Twitter followers, and he's like, I he was on the Indie Hackers podcast, and his whole pitch is like he's trying to create a quote portfolio of small bets unquote. So one of them I think is taken off. But uh, he's, he, I think he's one of the most successful, uh, true indie hacker style people right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, re- I think I read this in February 2019, but I read it again and thought it was pretty good. Although it's a little hard to read about somebody like about to be promoted to a principal engineer position who quits like months beforehand. But other than that, uh, that sounds really it's a great good. little intro to be saying i'm gonna stop making five hundred thousand dollars a year and just work for myself yeah but of course you don't hear the see the blog post from the people who don't immediately start making 500k again working for themselves right, like he right. made 75k the first year and now immediately is at 510 511k last year i think oh, actually okay. i think actually, that was his uh, salary that was his job salary yeah gotcha but I do think since since this, I think he probably hadn't made anything when he wrote this. Okay. Uh, but I think since then he has done quite well. That's great. Yeah, I I want to dig further into this and see like how many of his products that he's made target you know other indie hackers or other people <laughs> in tech because it's pretty astonishing some of the success stories that I think about a lot they just don't map it all onto, you know, uh, unless, unless you're kind of selling pickaxes to indie hackers, you know, all these people, the most successful indie hackers are famous because they built tools for indie hackers. Uh, you know, like Peter levels built, you know, nomad list, like, you know, Peter levels is this big indie hacker, but like he's never just made some dumb SaaS product. He's just been building by trying to build a community build the indie hacker community just riding the wave yeah no, well I don't, I don't i don't know if this guy is doing a similar thing but maybe you could find out in his recent book ebook titled everyone can build a twitter audience now okay. available okay i don't know how to use this website there's not an icon in the top left corner to get to the home page <laughs> it's a danger with gatsby templates or whatever this is use next.js everyone <laughs> And see you tomorrow. All right. Bye, folks.